0: The Lord can sympathize with your weaknesses. Cause he knows that allurement. He knows the pull inside. Jesus lived and worked on the daily grind as a carpenter. He had calluses in his hands. He had splinters in his hands. He stubbed his toe at times. He went to weddings. He went to funerals. Yes, Jesus lived life just like you and me. But why would he do that? Why would he live just a normal, mundane life so that we couldn't look at him and say, you know, Jesus... You don't have a clue what it's like to live down here. You don't know how hard my life is and the things that I'm going through. I'm sick of my job. You know, my life is so difficult. Know this not only did Jesus face all the day in and day out troubles that you and me face on a daily basis, but he did it so that he could sympathize with us. Look, he was the creator of the universe. He could have anointed some little princess somewhere and came down was born into some royalty and lived in a mansion and lived in a palace. He could have been born into whatever he wanted to be born into, but he chose purposely to pick a dirt poor family that was going to be dirt poor their whole lives. And that's where he chose to live. And he grew up in this little village of nothing. And it's just like he just had nothing. And it's like all of this stuff just happened, but that's what he chose to live in, to have it hard, the hard way. I'm sure there was many times that Jesus went to bed hungry, but didn't have a full stomach. He didn't pull out his God thing. You know, they weren't all sitting around the table when he was like 14. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there's not enough food to go around. He didn't just say, hey, you know, family, let me just drop some in and out on you. Ba-boom, you know. (laughs) And it's just like, no, he didn't do any of that. He was limited in all of his things. He never uses God powers for anything. But again, he lived this lifestyle so that he could sympathize with us. In fact, he says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So not only did he live the hard life, working, sweat by the brow, all of that as a carpenter all of those years until he was 30 years old, but he also allowed himself to be tempted in all things as we are. Think about what that means. That means when you are allured by something. I think every single one of us have our allurements, do we not? There's those things that we know that are wrong, but it's just like, oh, I just... I like to do this. Like, like, you know, and it's not the same for all of us. We all have our different little things, the things that are tempting to us. And yet, you know, you just get, you get pulled. You get sucked in. You get allured. It's just, oh, it's so tempting for me. And it's like, oh, you know. And then you fall to that thing. You're like, no, I know this was wrong. Why did I do this thing again? And then the, the guilt comes and the shame and all of those things. And you go to the Lord, Lord, I'm so sorry. I told you I'd never do this thing again. And I've done it again. The Lord can sympathize with your weaknesses because he knows that allurement. He knows the pull inside and he's able to come to you and say, like, I know how weak the flesh is. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he understands that, and he knows that. And that's why he's so merciful and gracious to us, because he understands the weakness of the flesh, though he never fell to it himself. Well, today, as we continue in our study through the book of John, picking up in John chapter 7, now even his own siblings have turned on him, his own brothers. Remember last week in chapter 6, verse 66 many walked away from him. Isn't that odd? Because, you know, most of the chapters in the Bible, they don't go, you know, 60, 70 verses. There's a few that do, but not very many. But isn't it odd how we have chapter 6, verse 66, 666, the the number of the Antichrist. And no, that's the verse that says, and many turned away from Jesus. Isn't that the Antichrist whole goal? Isn't that the goal of the devil to turn many away from Jesus? But many in the last chapter walked away to the point that Jesus even looked at his own 12 disciples and said, are you guys going to walk away too? That's when Peter stepped up and said, well, well where are we going to go? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. But here now in chapter 7, we find Jesus' own brothers frustrated with him as they confront him for what appears to be that you have become an embarrassment to us. People are asking what's your brother? What's this Messiah kick with him? Jesus was embarrassing them. Leave it to our own family members to cut to the chase with us, huh? Hey, who needs enemies? We all got family members, right? It's like, and so when you're sitting there and you're thinking like, oh man, you're so frustrated, you're beat down by your own family, Jesus can sympathize with you because here his own family is turning on him. He knows what it's like. He can sympathize with you and that seems to be the case here with him. Yes, they said, show yourself. We want to see it for ourselves anyway. If you're the promised Messiah, Stop the secrecy. Make it obvious for all. Why don't you just open up the heaven and call a fire down or something? Just make it to where everyone sees it clearly, so they'll stop harassing us. And leave all these little villages here in Galilee. What are you wasting your time here? All these little peon little villages here. Man, you gotta take your Messiahship on the road. Go to the big city. You gotta hit Jerusalem. Maybe that was code language for, man, we're just so tired of dealing with all the flack and all the mocking. Just go, do something. Yet instead of Jesus lowering himself to their little digs, Jesus does the complete opposite. He does what we should all do when we're confronted by those who are angry and hostile towards us. You ever have those people that come to you, their veins are popping out, they're like, rah, then they just want a piece of you. Well, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 15:1, he says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs it up even more. Someone comes to you. Oh yeah, you want a piece of this? Hey, you want a piece of me? Oh yeah, okay, it's on. See, that's just the way guys deal, man. It's like whoa, okay. And it's, I mean, we're gonna go to blows or something, but it's like a gentle answer turns away wrath. See, Jesus simply responded to them with truth and accuracy, and he said in verse six, "It's not my time yet." You guys don't understand. You don't. You don't. You're not looking at the bigger picture here. All you're concerned about is you right now and how people are harassing you. It's not my time yet, he said. Understand, John had already pointed out in verse 1 that the reason Jesus was staying away from the bigger cities was because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Know this. What's the whole reason why Jesus came in the first place? He came to die. He was going to die. The angel told Mary over 30 years ago that she would carry the most high in her womb. The plan was that he would be born to die. That was a plan from the beginning all the way back into the book of Genesis when man first sinned. Remember, one was going to come from the the womb of the woman was going to crush Satan's head. So it's like it was going to happen at the beginning. Isaiah brings it up again in Isaiah 53, 6. He says, all of us like sheep, we've all gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all the sin of us all to fall upon him. Yes, Jesus crushed Satan and he brought man back. He bought man back from sin and death. The apostle Paul put it like this in Romans 5.8. He says that God demonstrated his own love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So look, it wasn't an issue that he was running from dying it just wasn't his time yet. That was the plan from the beginning. The creator would die for his creation. Remember what was said in Isaiah forty three ten. He says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen in order that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he, and before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no savior besides me so this was written some 780 years before this is happening right here that we're reading right now so he was saying look there is no savior besides me god is saying i am the savior savior again in the hebrew means a deliverer who is god and make no mistake about it jesus was going to die for the sin of humanity he was going to pay the ultimate price for you and for me He is the holy God and our sin cannot stand before him. See, that's the issue. God is holy and your sin and my sin cannot stand before him. See, that's the whole problem. Every person that is outside of Christ, they will be judged by the perfect law of God on the day of judgment. Everyone will be judged. That's why the Bible says it is appointed every man. And every woman will die once, and after this comes judgment. There is a holy judgment, and it will be judged by the holy law of God. Every person will. And the law of God demands vengeance. The law of God, see, the law of God doesn't save us, it condemns us. The law of God just says, You're guilty. That's all it does. You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. It's just like laws today. What happens when you're going 80 miles an hour on a freeway and a CHP pulls you over? You're getting a ticket, why? Because you're guilty, okay? So what does the law say? The law says what? Pay me, right? You're gonna have a fine, pay me. What are we gonna do when we stand before God? Don't you think he's got something better than a than a, a video camera that's on a street corner mounted? Don't you think God has a way of... Taking our lives and being able to expand it when we stand before Him in judgment, and not only does God have his form of video of our life, but it 's even worse than that because now he says i 'm going to judge the motive of your heart, so you could be doing one thing, walking it out, but your motive could be different like Honey, did you take out the trash? Yes, I'm taking out the trash. <laughs> okay, no reward for you, okay? Because you took the trash out, but your heart was nasty. Did you pick up the dog dog? Yeah, I'm going out to pick up that dog dog. It's like it's no reward. See, it's going to be the worst. The law of God is holy and pure and we will get judged. That's why the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death because it's like, this is what you did and there's the judgment for it. It's death. But that's why Jesus came. That's why he died for the penalty of our sins. Yet the rest of Romans six twenty three goes on to say the wages of sin is death but he says, but The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift that he gives to us when we come to him and humble ourselves before God. Yes, what a plan that God had. This way, the law of God is held up upright and just. See, God never deletes. He never dilutes. He never dilutes. He doesn't take away from the fierceness of the law of God. It stays strong. And so the law of God is perfect. But the sinner is saved because Jesus paid our price on the cross. So the law says to you and to you, he says, pay me. Jesus says, paid. I bore their sin on my body. Paid. Every one of our sins are paid by Jesus. The law is upheld and the sinner is saved. Yes, you don't get any better than that. The law is upheld. The sinner is saved on the day of judgment from eternity in hell yes without question jesus was going to die it was his plan from the beginning but what he's telling his brothers right here is not yet not yet why it wasn't his time the word for time here means a decisive and crucial point know this jesus still had many lives to touch He had many lessons to teach to those who had ears to hear. We're only John chapter 7. There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen from this point on. So Jesus simply said to his brothers, Look, fellas, it's not my time yet, but it's always time for you. He turns it back on them. I wonder how many of us need to hear that today. Our decisive and crucial time is now. Yes, our time, your time, my time is now to reach a lost world for Christ. Do we realize that? Do you understand the magnitude of what God is asking us to do in these last days? We're all to have this high calling from God. Yet some think, oh no, pastor, that's your job. Your job is to preach the gospel. And yes, it is. And I take that responsibility to my heart. But understand, it's your job also. It's all of our jobs to do the work of an evangelist. You know, I worked in construction for 19 years before I went into the ministry full time. And ever since I became a Christian, I've always shared my faith. And listen, we need to share our faith. Listen, there was a guy, his name was Jim Voyager. I met him early on, like 1978. And in 1978, I was going to an apprenticeship school in Whittier, right over here. And we had to go every, uh, you know, Wednesday. It was part of the, you know, trade that I was in and what have you. And so I met this guy in there. He was going to, you know, apprenticeship school with me. His name, again, was Jim Voyager. And so Jim was, you know, he was a pretty radical looking guy, okay? I and mean, just radical, okay? This is before tattoos were chic and cool and everyone's got tattoos now. This is back when only the heathen dogs had tattoos, okay? So he's tattooed up I mean he's just covered. I mean he's got sleeves, he's just everything. And Jim Voyager had another characteristic about him. He looked like Charles Manson, okay? The one who's behind the Sharon Tate murders and everything, okay? He iconically looked like Charles Manson. So, anyway, I remember when we were sitting in this little circle and, you know, people were giving their name, "Hi, I'm Steve Wilburn, I'm from Ontario, blah blah blah." You know, I work for this company, you know, like whatever. So, it goes to him, he's next to me, and before he could say, "Hi, I'm Jim Voyager," This guy uh, on the other side of the circle says, I'm Charlie Manson. ho ho, ho. everyone starts laughing, you know, and then Jim just without missing a beat, just gets this gnarly look on his face and goes, and your mother's not safe. <laughs> and that guy just that guy like he like wet his pants right there so he comes up to Jim afterwards he goes hey man I'm really sorry I was just joking man you're, you're not gonna do anything to my mom are you <laughs> I'm like, that really happened true story anyway so so me and Jim became really good friends and I just you know I started preaching the gospel to him and so we ended up working at the same company like a year later we both ended up at the same company so we're working together like all the time and you know poor Jim, I feel bad for him because if you think I'm a little bit of a spaz now, you should have seen me when I was 20. Okay, so I'm just going to town on Jim every day. We would meet in Anaheim, get in the shop truck, we would drive like an hour in traffic to the job site, get to the job site. I play Christian radio all day long. I'm preaching the gospel to him. We get back in the, the, the truck afterwards, drive back to the shop. I preach to him the whole time. I mean, he's just like, oh my goodness, get this guy away from me. But you know, so we this went on for years. Okay, so then, so then one day I I invite him to a concert you know so I, I go pick him up in West Covina he lived in West Covina right off the ten, and I picked him up in my van I got him and his wife and we're driving to this Christian concert and I'm talking to his wife and all of a sudden I'm like, shh, shh, what what is that smell like I look back he's bonging in my van I'm like what are you doing he's like well we're going to a concert man I always get a buzz first I'm like you can't bong in my van this is a Jesus fan. I got Jesus stickers on here. You can't, you can't on this. Anyway, but that was just Jim, you know? And so I preached to him and I preached to him. I, I think, you know, I don't know what it was with me and him, but, you know, I really cared about him. I loved him. I loved him and his wife. And, and I, you know, I think he just put up with me. And, and so anyway, this went on for years and he never gave his life to Christ. And so, you know, you're thinking like, okay, that was a great story. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> But uh, but no, but so what happened, like a couple years after that, after he had left the shop, I hadn't seen him, I hadn't talked to him for you know at least two or three years. I get this phone call at my house. I pick it up, it's like, hey, Steve, this is Jim. And I'm like, Jim, dude, how you been, man? so good to hear your voice. He goes, you're not gonna believe it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, I became a Christian. I'm born again. I'm like, what? I couldn't believe it, you know? I'm <laughs> just like, wow. And, you know, I think he put up with me all that time because I legitimately cared about him. I cared about him. I cared about his wife. And, you know, what's the whole point of this? The point is this. You have Jim Voyengers in your life. You have people that you think, man, there's no way this guy or this girl would ever give their life to Christ. No way. Not going to happen. Guess what? You don't know that. You don't know where they're at. You don't know where their heart's at. And if you go at them, like I went at Jim, okay, maybe I crossed the line a few times preaching to him a little too much. But guess what? He always put up with it because I think he always knew I cared about him. And I was willing to say the hard things to him. You know, people aren't willing to say the hard things anymore. You know, I'm willing to tell someone, look, if you're in this lifestyle, look, you can do whatever you want. But I'm just telling you, you can't go to heaven if you're in this lifestyle. And you know, people are like, "How can you say that?" Hey, don't judge me, bro. Hey, it's not about judge you, bro. This is about this is what the Bible says, and this is how much God loves you. This is why I came to die for you. See, God wants us to man up. Unless, of course, you're a woman, then you can woman up. Okay, but uh, Jesus' brothers eventually came around. They eventually came around. James, the next oldest in his family, became a leader in the church. Ended up writing. The very first book that was written in the New Testament. Maybe you've read it. It's called the book of James. It wasn't easy in his time. He struggled as Jesus' brother to believe that his brother was the Messiah. He struggled with that. But guess what? James saw Jesus he knew the character he had in his whole life. He was probably only a year or two younger than Jesus. Maybe just a year younger. After Jesus was born, who knows? She could have got pregnant in the next three months or whatever. You know, he might have been just a year younger than Jesus. He watched him. He knew there was something different about him. But then he watched him get brutally beaten by the Romans. He watched him get nailed to a cross and hang dead on the cross. But a few days later, James also saw him risen from the dead. Not only did James believe, but he became a main leader in this new early church of believers in Christ. And again, he had the privilege of writing what ended up being the very first book written in the New Testament because James was written in about 45 A.D., It was written to the believers who had fled from Jerusalem because of their continued persecution from Herod Agrippa. And those Christians were under much pain. They were under much suffering. So if you find yourself today in a difficult place, and you're struggling with much strain and difficulties in your life. James had a lot to say to you. He said, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you come into various trials and hardships. And those things are, you know, will cause a growth in your life that you'll be able to endure such things. He went on to say in James 1.12, he says, blessed is the man or the woman who preserves under trial. For once they have been approved, you will receive from him a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. He says, look, you know, you're know, you gonna go through things on this side of heaven that don't make any sense. It's gonna to be tough times at times. It's never gonna be heaven on earth. It's gonna be heaven and heaven. And on earth, there's gonna be difficulties. But when you stand up against those fiery trials in your life and you stay grounded in Christ, no matter what happens to you, you don't take your eyes off the Lord. One day, the Lord will look into your eyes. And he will welcome you into the kingdom of God and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And he will give you a crown of life and it'll be yours. Listen, remember this. If you don't remember anything else here this morning, the cross that we bear today in hardships and difficulties is only for a while. But the crown of life that we will bear from the Lord one day will last for all of eternity. Yes, we should never run from hardship. We should never run from trials and difficulty. For God speaks to us within the walls of their misery. Yes, James was writing to those who suffered. And Christians today will suffer by the hands of those in our own culture. If we choose to make a stand for Jesus, people will turn on us. They will poke fun at us. They will say that we're narrow-minded. Or have turned into some religious freak or what have you. Yes, Jesus' brothers face the same problems that we face here today. But Jesus points them to the real problem. And he sets the record straight. He says, oh, you guys are thinking you have it so tough because you're my brother. You think you have it so tough because people are, you know, mocking me and saying, what's your brother's problem? He thinks he's the Messiah or whatever. He goes, let me set the record straight. Here's what the real issue is. And he told him in verse seven, he says, look, guys, you're not the one the world hates. It's me that they hate. Understand the world is very tolerant of religion, is it not? But why? Why? Is true Christianity contrary to all other religions? Because true Christianity proclaims to be the only one that says there's one God.
1: Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977.